back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I've reached out to Eric and Connor a couple weeks ago, hoping that they would come on the show because I was looking at their YouTube channel, not as a professional, but someone who's just... I've stumbled across them, actually. And I was like, oh, I was watching these videos, four or five videos. And then I realized that they were the official PIOs for South Metro Fire Rescue. And I was like, okay, they figured something out. I got to have them on the show. I'm really excited (laughs) to have them on. Connor and Eric, welcome. Thank you so much for having us, John. We're so excited to be here. Yeah, Yeah. this is awesome. One of our favorite things is to talk shops. So we're here to do that. That's awesome. Okay, let's let's knock out the obvious. Um, You know, Boulder, Colorado happened big fire a lot of that was all on the news uh about a month ago tell us south uh south metro fire was involved in that response correct correct um south metro responded as a mutual aid task force so uh the denver metro area has predetermined organizations that participate in strike teams and task forces we sent one wildland task force uh pretty quickly after the request and then South Metro joined some of our other neighboring agencies for a second task force a little while later. And both of them operated until the early morning hours, somewhere around 2.30 or 3 in the morning, Mm -hmm. um, doing everything they could from a structure protection standpoint. They made a lot of good saves from what I understand talking to the crews. Um, I'm sure everybody's seen the video by now. Super intense, um, a really high-end, high-risk, low-frequency event, especially Mm -hmm. for our area. Um, but they had a lot of big wins despite all of the loss. So I think just being able to conserve some property, um, save things that were really meaningful to people, that was a really big deal for them. And then uh, as daylight came the second day, two additional task forces with fresh crews actually went up and, uh, and were there for a little while before being released back to our fire district. Got it. So, it, well, way, way to put on your PIO hat immediately, by the way, after this uh, conversation. But, um, <laughs> you know, that was very official. That was very good. So, uh, I felt like I was fairly seasoned before I started uh, being involved with wildfires. I'd been to countless disasters, I felt like, at that time. But when I went to Santa Rosa, California, um, I was actually in, I think, Hurricane Harvey, and I was deployed directly to help out uh, the Northern California wildfires. And I went and actually did surveys um, with drones in, in Southern California, the Northern California. But Santa Rosa, I'd never seen anything like that before. It, it was like a nuke had gone off, just white ash everywhere. And um, it was definitely, even for a guy who has felt like he's seen a thing or two, it was pretty jarring. You know, it was um, it was a difficult experience. And so whether it's in California or Boulder, Colorado, you know, wildfires do hit differently. And there's, there's, I mean, as you noted, uh, you know, they can, they can happen in a flash, right? And that was, I guess that was a pun, but, um, you know, it, it shows that that kind of messaging is so critically important because they happen so fast. People have to get out of there because they will literally, literally lose everything. And um, it shows that like what you're doing in your mission of trying to help people and inform the public is so critically important. And that's a lot of what our communities asked for us here, John, is that they saw this happening in Boulder County and our district is further away from from Boulder County. But people were talking about what can we do here? They see this devastation happen and they say, oh, my gosh, what if this was my neighborhood? Mm. What if these were my neighbors and my family members? And so us with our community risk reduction team, we were able to send out information to our communities about 
if something like this were to happen, and of course this was such a catastrophic event, and there are certain mitigation efforts that people can do in order to take care of their property and to help protect their homes. Um, but we did talk to them about what they can do in terms of getting out of their neighborhood safely, have multiple escape routes, getting out of their home, having multiple ways out of their homes. Also learning about uh, reverse 911 notifications. Sometimes that's not something that people know about. So that's when there are evacuations in your area or if there is severe weather or something that you need to know about right now in your city or county, they can contact you and then you can have the ability to be ready to go. So um, mm. we did, we talked with our community members and sent out some social media messages about that because mm. it was so um, jarring and in your face, especially here in Colorado and that ripple went throughout the country. So just being more aware and how you can be ready for something really intense like this. Real quick, we're gonna pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radiocoms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1700 degree blast of heat, Repeated 3-meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme Series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Okay, let's jump back in. Yeah, and, and that's an excellent point, especially with uh, high-impact, low-frequency events. You know, it's it's difficult as an emergency manager. Maybe you can you can both share your perspective on this as uh, in, in terms of a messaging perspective, even internally, um, or with uh, you know stakeholders. When we look at constantly, when we constantly look at high frequency, high impact, which is typically what gets us either funding or what you know gets people to stay up on the board. Like, hey, you're not going to ha- get hit by a volcano, but you might have a power outage, and there's lots of impacts with that. But when you have something like this happen. It shows that hey, there there's a there's a messaging thing that has to happen here that we maybe weren't prepared for, or that we still have to get people on board even when, you know, they're they're not really looking at it. How do you get stakeholders on on your same page, or how would you prevent present a messaging to stakeholders so that they are aware of this, let alone the public? In our area, we've worked closely uh, with county emergency management offices, and South Metro protects Mm. 300 square miles of the South Metro Denver area, and part of that includes three counties, Arapahoe, Douglas, and Jefferson. Mm. And especially in Douglas County, which is where South Metro's greatest wildfire risk is, um, we've done a lot of work ahead of time with our community members to give them a lot of different options on how they can receive alerts. 
So that starts with our Pulse Point app, which um, really is geared towards sudden cardiac arrest and, and crowdsourcing CPR and AED use if a cardiac arrest occurs in a public place. But what it also does is show active incidents in our fire district and it'll send push notifications if people want to know about wildland fires that are occurring pretty much at the same time that the firefighters are dispatched. Our county emergency managers are also encouraging community members to follow us on Twitter. And that's not just South Metro Fire, but all of our public safety agencies, because generally that's where we're posting factual information immediately to, mm. to verify that an incident is happening. And as things start to spiral, if we're, we're going down the road of evacuations, um, I've personally seen you know up to a 20 minute difference in my ability to tweet something out and then the ability for OEM, sheriff's office, fire to do a unified command and unified approach to where evacuations need to be, where we're going to tell people to go. There's just a lot of moving parts to that, as a lot of emergency managers already know. And that can take a while to get that message crafted correctly because mm. we all know it needs to go out the right way the first time. That's right. Yeah. But in that in that meantime, um, we can be prepping the community through our social media channels to say we are going to be issuing an evacuation order for this neighborhood. Get out now. More information will follow and, and at least kind of start that process. And I think one of the other things that we're, we're different on our PIO team is that we do a lot more of kind of boots on the ground, ground truth of what's happening from a visual perspective. So we know that, you know, everybody is, is in that denial, deliberation, decisive action uh, algorithm in their mind when a disaster is occurring. And the, the thing that we want to do most is show them what's happening to go along with the message, to, to move them out of denial as fast as we can and mm. help them make a good informed decision on what's going to happen next. So that's something that you'll see on our Twitter account is as quickly as we can get a PIO there with, with appropriate visuals, we're sharing that. Our news agencies are picking that up and sharing our message as well. And the idea is even if people aren't signed up for their reverse notifications like they should be, hopefully through us, through our social channels, retweets, shares, and the media, um, we're, we're reaching that large audience. Okay, you just named like 15 topics I want to dive into. <laughs> um, first of all, is that is the bird behind you the official like logo of your... Okay, so yeah. we, every time you said Twitter, like I died inside a little bit because I know I'm about to get like a hundred messages from our fans. And I we do we are listening to you. Everyone's like, hey, you guys should be on Twitter. I've had so many people... In fact, I... I was very stupidly, I asked like maybe six months ago, hey, you know, tell us, let us know if, you know, we're on Instagram and, and LinkedIn and Facebook and stuff. But if you want us on Twitter, let us know. We got so many messages. Hey, please be on, <laughs> on Twitter. And we still haven't done it. So we, we need to do it. That's a good call out. Maybe we'll jump on there, start following you guys and um, kind of move forward there. But in terms of like, let's talk about Twitter specifically for a second, because when I worked in DC, we were looking at um, population flux and populations using social media. And there was a report that came out after the DC earthquake. The first tweet uh, that uh, New York, the New York sent out a first tweet or received the first tweet on the earthquake eight seconds before the earthquake hit uh, New York. 
And so we started looking at this and basically it came out to like something like 40% of active Twitter users believed that if they put out an emergency on Twitter, they would have a first responder show up. And this was back in 2014, right? So if we're looking at it from that perspective, you have a PIO who has to craft a message who is actively engaging and providing correct messaging. And we can talk about that for a little bit. But in terms of the general public, do you ever have experiences or do you have quote unquote fears or pushback from people who are like, hey, people, if you do, if you're on social media, they actually might try to go through social media to get to us, you know, for help. Do you do you have experiences with that or do you think about that? And are you if I can clarify your question, John, do you mean mm -hmm. that people are. 911, please emergencies help. Yeah, reporting Twitter. emergencies on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually have something on our social media pages that says it's a little um, statement that says if this is an emergency, call 911. Yeah, you have to put because that out there. That's the last thing that we want is to have someone yeah. be going to our social media pages, whether it would be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, different places like that, saying, yeah. "Hey, I'm in trouble," or "I'm in." in an emergency. Mm. And so I don't think that we get that very often, I would mm. say, but I, I might say in an, in an emergency, people might reach out to us and say, what's going on? Uh, what, what can you tell me further about mm. this? So they might be gathering more, wanting to gather more details in the event of an emergency. But what would you say, Eric? Yeah, I, I can only recall once or twice where someone's reported something and usually, um, those those are something minor, like a mm -hmm. beeping smoke alarm that's not actually activated, but a dying battery or a CO alarm <laughs> where people just they they're hesitant to call the fire department, but they have mm. a question. The only time I know of where I've seen a community member beat the fire department, like as far as even the call being dispatched, was a brush fire on Interstate 25 um, in mm. Douglas County, where I was sitting at my desk. Um, somebody added us on Twitter. I looked at it and I saw a video clip of someone driving by a grass fire on the highway. Interesting. And I, I looked at our active incidents and there was nothing there. And it was probably 30 seconds later that the 911 calls finally hit and that we got dispatched to it. And so I already had the foreknowledge of what the incident looked like before our, <laughs> our firefighters even got tones to go. So it's definitely possible. Thankfully, I haven't seen that happen very often. It's fascinating that to even think of the mindset that somebody would say, I'm going to take a video of this and put it on Twitter <laughs> and then somebody else can call 911. Um, my pushback, so we had, uh, again, this is DC life. We had somebody say, well, we're going to have all these people at our facility start using the Twitter account instead of calling 911. And I'm like, I, I don't think people are just going to forget 911 exists. And so uh, yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a great you know, call out of like, Obviously, you know, you have, to, you have to put it out there for just in case, whatever. But for those emergency managers listening in right now who are looking to start getting into like more public messaging or who there's a lot of emergency managers out there, a lot of uh, OEMs who are like, quote unquote, afraid to use social media because they're afraid of like the super unrealistic scenario. The other one we hear about sometimes is like drones. Like, you know, you get management that just gets scared of drones and you're like, we're already using Reaper drones to capture this stuff. I don't think like somebody's small quadcopter is going to like whatever, as long as it's coordinated through official, you know, channels, you know, TFRs in place and all that. But, um, it, it goes to show that, you know, this stuff has to be utilized. So let's bring it into the perspective. Again, that emergency manager who's like, Oh, 
okay, maybe I can start using social media. You guys are crushing it, right? Like you're you're literally showing everybody else what success looks like. By Do it, you want to say it, our statement, Eric? Oh, what's our statement? Yeah, what's our your statement is crushing the minimum standard. <laughs> Are you serious? Is that like an actual <laughs> thing? Crushing the minimum standard. You I, totally nailed it with yes, using yes. the word crushing. I totally looked that up before this episode. Um, no, that's well, that's awesome. I mean, and that and that shows how it should be. We talk about uh, you know in different terms. We talk about telling people to do better building codes. We tell better people to do better messaging. We tell people to do like it's time to up the ante in our field quite a bit. Whether we're working with our first responder counterparts or military just had uh, Colonel McKinney on here and we were talking about this stuff. So like when you're setting up social media, you guys have figured out how to both be very informative. You gave me the very informative, uh, Eric, both you and, and Connor and Eric, you both did like the very like, this is what happened. And I, it's very great. But you also provide interesting information where people actually want to look at it. Now, my experience, I've seen a lot of messaging be one or the other. It's like incredibly boring. I don't want to see it. Or it's so dramatic, right? Write your social security number on your, on your arm because we're not going to come save you. Those two are the, those two messages get out, but you guys have tapped into a, like a, almost like a positive stream here. Provide your insight, provide your perspective. Maybe it's some advice to somebody who's looking to do this. I think what's so fun about our team that Eric and I have developed here at South Metro is that we both come from different backgrounds. So um, Eric can tell his background in a moment, but I come from the broadcast media world. So when I think about our, our presence on social media and interacting with media and community members, there are so many incidents where we are in really high stress situations and having to communicate that to the public. And those are times where you need to be very serious because there could be injuries that you're dealing with. There could be deaths. There could be very serious threats out in the public to the public safety. So there is a time where you you put on that hat of, hey, this is a moment where this is very very serious information to get across. But then at the same time, we are our community's fire department. We are here for our community members. And there, with that serious tone all the time, I think you lose that human aspect of it where you're relating to people and you're saying, right. hey, we're, we're here for you um, as South Metro Fire Rescue um, in, in your best days and your worst mm. days. So I think just having those, I don't even know if you'd call it a switch on and off of different pieces of you, but I think finding those ways to mm. interact with the community to say, hey, we're, we're people too. We aren't robots. And... Um, we all have our personal lives and our professional lives, but trying to find that happy medium where people can relate to us too and know that that we're here for them. Yeah, and my background's different. Um, straight out of high school, I was a volunteer firefighter, and then I moved into 911 dispatching and mm. ascended through the ranks of the dispatch center all the way up to operations manager. So I have the line perspective, I have the dispatch perspective, and I think the dispatch perspective really helped me communicate with people having a bad day. Because generally, most of the folks that I spoke to, which was somewhere around 1,000 or 1,500 people a year who were calling 911 for the worst day of their life or seeing someone have the worst day of their life. Mm -hmm. And um, I learned a lot about how to speak to people in those situations. And also, the most important part is how to listen to people in those situations as well. And when I got appointed to the full-time PIO role, I think a lot of just uh, life experiences kind of came together for me. 
And our line firefighters here at South Metro really wanted to have better representation in the community. Uh, they felt like they were underrepresented and people mm. didn't truly understand what they were doing. So um, that was my first mission was, was how could we really tell the community a story, not just, you know, a report like what a PIO would typically do, but let's tell, let's do good storytelling and let's, let's include the highs and the lows. You know, we've, we've had some really intense things here. We, uh, just a couple years ago had, uh, the STEM shooting, which was the third school shooting in South Metro's history. Um, and then we have really fun things like firefighters rescuing ducklings or like yesterday rescuing a dog out of an icy pond. And so, we're, mm. we're trying to bring authenticity, and that's the best word that I can use, is we're authentic. What we do is unscripted. So what people get to see is exactly how it is, and whenever we can make humans feel better about the world around them, like when we rescue a dog or a goose, I think that helps our community members see firefighters as good people, good humans who are trying their best to help in the community, and we're sort of just banking that goodwill so that one day, if we have to ask for a mill levy tax increase to help our fire district survive, um, you know, we, mm. we have the backing of our community members. So there's a thousand reasons why it's a good idea, but I think it's that authentic look that has set South Metro apart from other fire districts. We're, we're not afraid to be ourselves in front of the camera. And I, again, both of you, I, I wish we could have an entire episode basically off what you literally just said, but... <laughs> If you if you look at what you said from like a strategic level, different backgrounds and perspectives, I want to say vulnerable, but human, humanistic, authentic. I mean, you said that word a couple times. Um, broadcast media and just understanding like the nuances of how do you present yourself in front of the camera. And then I really like the unscripted perspective. I, I have worked with several agencies um, and... The, the most rigid ones are the ones that are, people are not paying attention to. And when we started this podcast, part of the reason why I think we blew up is because uh, some of our guests would come on here and say, oh, thank you for not making me read like a, an actual script. <laughs> and I was shocked to find out people were doing that. Like you, you're going to have them read what they're going to say. Like, I just want to hear from you. And uh, this unscripted, let's talk about, for even this episode, let's talk about Boulder. Let's talk about your backgrounds a little bit. Let's talk about why you're awesome on social media. Now, of course, we try to have, you know, for audience sake, we try to have some topics that we're going to, we want to talk about. But I, I think it's more fun just to like hear from experts who are doing it right. And so we can all take and take that internally and say, okay, what can I do at my agency or more my organization? And lo and behold, crushing the minimum standard um yes i used it yes we, we might steal <laughs> that for the title of this episode um no but like and, and you are like and you're really doing it right way i liked also the idea of sometimes there are are moments we have to be super serious and then as connor noted flipping the switch and then as eric noted now you're talking about rescuing a dog or rescuing ducks and so like even you, you and the, like what's really amazing here is just even saying that both of you pair off of each other so well. You talked about switching, and he provides. Oh, there we. Oh, so if you if you didn't if you didn't know what that sound was, that was them giving each other a high five. <laughs> They're not allowed to look at each other though. We heard that, so I don't know what's if up with that. We, but if only we could stay looking at the camera. Yeah. Well, then... I'm 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 like the biggest problem. I want to look at you guys while I'm talking to you, so I can never look at this camera, but. <laughs> Um, we haven't heard any negative feedback on that yet, so that's great. But um, 
Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's great. Um, one one thing that I noticed from uh, your YouTube channel actually is the day in the life of, and I mentioned this to you right before we started recording. I think that's excellent to both humanize like who your responders are, but also for like people who are listening to this episode. I think I, I would hope that they would check out your YouTube channel because. If you're looking to work more closely with fire, you're looking to look more closely with your community partners, lo and behold, they actually can show you what that's like. And um, I think that's really smart. So I've talked too long here, but let's let's search back to you guys on the idea of you come up with creative ideas. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're be authentic, but people can be authentically boring, right? Let's, let's be real on that. This is true. Yeah. So how do you come up with, oh, let's do it in the day in life of, there was a video of you, Connor, I think, um, talking to a reporter that you did in front of a house. Uh, so like you're going back and forth in these different things. That takes some creativity, right? How are you coming up with creative ideas? I'm going to throw it to Eric to start this one off because in going back to our YouTube channel, it started off with unscripted and then mm -hmm. we got to start our vlogs, but I, I want him to start with it because he truly is the one that started the YouTube channel and then how it's grown since then with those ideas. Well, you also had to restart it for like a half a second too, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, like, our YouTube channel went bye-bye. Yeah. When you guys were like, oh, we're just going to restart, I'm like, they're losing hundreds of thousands of... No! I'm like, all right, That was cool. a really sad day. <laughs> Yeah, but at funny. the same time, we just decided, okay, we have to pivot and mm -hmm. figure it out. And thankfully, in the end, we, we got our channel back. It was a mistake. But yeah, yeah, it was this moment of, okay, we, we've developed this following and these people who want to see what South Metro is doing and um, mm. to have that behind, behind the scenes look. But So we're so thankful that, that we got it back. But we yes. kind of just oh my said, gosh. hey. We've got to just go with the flow and, mm -hmm. and figure it out from here. So I've gotten these messages too of like, hey, uh, you know, we decided to suspend your account for a half a day. And you're like, yeah, but why? And then you like message and they're like, oh, yeah, that was just a mistake. No big deal. Like, yeah, oh, okay, right. that's like my livelihood. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, how do you do it? How do you be creative then? Um, so when I first got appointed to the PIO role, I uh, was very much a, a rookie at being a PIO and mm. Um, quite honestly, there was a, a lot of PIOs who'd been doing it a lot longer than I was or that I had, and um, they were kind of throwing some shade at me. And so I knew I had um, a challenge ahead of me to be a professional and do things right. And um, I'm kind of like just a rebel soul, like I have been my whole life, and so I wanted to do something different. And it really didn't take much. I looked at social media statistics. Statistically, more Americans and really more people around the globe are using YouTube than any other social media platform. So mm. just from everything else aside, statistically, that's where we should be doing stuff. And that's where mm. I came up with a video series that was called Unscripted. And I had no knowledge whatsoever about video. I was a, a pretty decent still photographer. So mm. I think just being able to show good creative uh, angles with video worked, but my editing skills, my, my audio capture skills were just awful. So I look back at I look at those videos and I, I like don't even want to watch them anymore. You like dying, you cringe inside a little bit. Yeah. Ago, but yeah. that was really the jump start, and that was the the truly unscripted, authentic look at what South Metro was doing. And then um, we saw Miami Police Department's blog, and they had already amassed a huge audience, and they were doing a lot of fun stuff. Nick, mm. especially at Miami PD, is a big inspiration to us um, for our yes. creativity. And that's when we started the vlog. But I think what really made us successful 
was not turning the comment section off, which a lot of agencies oh, do. Oh man, that's brave. We left yeah. it on. We we listened to the feedback that people gave us, and we we got better, and we listened to their ideas. So our Fleet Friday series was requested by our audience. Our Station Saturday was requested by the audience, and Day in the Life was requested by mm. our audience. And so it's that feedback we're we're listening and we're giving the audience what they want to see and the audience has been right like every time they're right and so we just keep improving as we go along and um we keep getting more subscribers which is a you know a big benchmark of success for us it should be and and you're doing it right i like the idea of collaboration looking at and, and noting sometimes people uh fail to or they they omit the uh who they got the inspiration from and so i like how you were just like hey we're working in a community. You've been preaching community. Obviously, you're using community to promote it. And so it just shows that like working together as teams in one way or another, even as PIOs, you know, in, in South Metro, you're pulling from Miami. I mean, seriously, that's a smart way to look at it. I'm going to do a little plug for Doberman here real quick because like the, the emergency management organization I work with, it's hardcore analytics and uh, wanting to use data to improve decision making. I'm so sick of like follow your gut. Like when I go to talk to fire or when I talk to USAR, or when I talk to military, yeah, the, the gut's there, but it, the gut is based off of the, the training, the data, the analytics that they've put into it. When you go to a fire, you know, your counterparts, they're not just like, ah, I'm just going to spray water over here. Cause that seems nice. They're <laughs> thinking of like how to actually, reduce the the level of risk there and so we need to do that as a field and so that's our big call out so i love the fact that you're like let me just see what's the best platform to use and then being brave a little bit to leave the comments on as a podcaster it's great because all the comments are private <laughs> no, there you go. <laughs> i wish people would comment on our social media i mean again that's a that's a thing that you guys are doing well so kudos to you on literally crushing the minimum standard, but also setting, setting up other people to be successful as well. Hopefully that other people are listening to this podcast, this episode and saying, okay, I can implement some of those things because I just heard it from people who are doing it right. So yeah. Thanks again for coming on the show for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Thank Thanks you so for much for having us. us. Yeah. The, um, gosh, that was like the worst transition ever. So, and in terms of that transition, let's, uh, let's do it here. Cause I was, uh, I just got a thing from our producer saying we're, we're up in time, but we just want to respect you guys so much, uh, show that respect to you guys again, because our field, the field of emergency and disaster services needs better messaging. It needs to be timely, but it also needs to be accurate. It needs to find ways to work with other people. I also have to do one last shout out for, um, for the Boulder, Colorado, going full circle here, because Patrick McGinn, who was uh, the director of Salvation Army for Northern California, got deployed out there and he was doing feeding missions. He's been on the show a couple of times and he was talking about working with community partners. So whether you're in feeding missions with a VOAD or whether you're doing PIO for uh, for a fire, there's, there's always a, a place to help out. And if you're working with your community, which I believe is the message here, then you can get great things done. And so again, thanks for so much for coming on the show and sharing your perspectives, Connor and Eric. And we hope maybe we can get you back on the show sometime. We'd love to. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Excellent. John. Take care. Thanks for having us. All right, everybody. If you liked this episode, which you should have, this is the, again, that shameless plug we do every episode. You got to give us that five-star rating and subscribe. Do what they do in freaking the, the greatest YouTube channel for PIOs <laughs> ever with South Metro Fire. Maybe look at our YouTube videos every once in a while. That'd be great. I'll go like this. 
yeah like, like, we'll, we'll, like we'll put it in we'll put in the link yeah that's awesome <laughs> yeah like and subscribe thank you so much so okay and we'll and based off of that if you have a comment or you, you have a question more importantly if you have a question for south metro fire how to do things right send us an email at info at dobermanemg.com and we'll forward it on to them if you have a question for a community which is what they've been preaching this last time uh, go into social media feel free to put that question out there we would love for the community to respond if we tag south metro fire in that well maybe we'll set up twitter specifically so they can do that um, and then, you know, follow us next week and give us ideas of who we should have on the show. And we'll see you then. Thanks.